Hi. Hey, Jose. Hey, Lisa. How are you guys? How are you? Fantastic. It's Welcome on this, this beautiful Tuesday. Yes, sir. Let's send a few invites. We have our guest here already. Well, not yet. We have Jamie, of course. Yep. But we think we have more people coming. So it's been an active uh, part of the news cycle. Do you think that we'll be able to uh, uh, do the show without inevitably uh, uh, talking about, um, you know, FTX the whole time? Yeah, maybe maybe we can try it. <laughs> but at least it, it's a bit quiet this week, right? In comparison to last week, we can take a break. It was so intense. Yeah, well, that's true. Can, can you make me, uh, I don't think I can add speakers, uh, Jose. Do you want to make me co-host or something? Yep. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We're going to begin in just a couple minutes, letting everybody come on board, getting letting all of our uh, all of our speakers come on board. I'm enabled to invite Jamie. Jamie, are you from your cell phone? Because uh, you can't access from the computer. Oh yeah, you got to so... be on your phone. Sorry, Jamie. Okay, while we wait, uh, let's try to, to share the, the space so we get the algo going. On right the bottom left corner, you see a comment bubble where you click and you can tweet about the space. Alicia, please, if you can share it to a few of our followers, I would appreciate it. Same for the audience, Justin. Who are we? Who are we speaking with today, Justin? Would you like to tell? Well, okay, we've got several projects coming in to speak to us today. Here, let me look up where I've got all the proper titles written down. We've got a uh, we've got Bradley James, founder of uh, Build a Mine or Mining with Brad. He's kind of an influencer who helps. Uh, uh, people figure out how to uh, get started with, with Bitcoin mining. Um, we've also got Securitize President Jamie Finn. That's that's who uh, I think needs to maybe join by phone in order think, for... Uh, uh, I'm here. He's here. Oh, you're, you're on? Good, you're on. Excellent. Welcome, Jamie. Good to meet you. Um, so, President of Securitize, uh, which is... Uh, it, it does. Uh, it brings the issuer and the investor together. Uh, the issuer raises capital. Investors can access alternative investment opportunities. So we're going to talk, talk about tokenization a little bit. We've also got Jim, who is the co-founder of Agir Tactics, which is a uh, a GameFi uh, card game, essentially that. Uh, I believe has yet to be launched, but uh, they're working on right now, and that's an Algorand project. And uh, also uh, Jesse S. Jarvis, who's a luxury property specialist, founder and tech entrepreneur, I think, to talk about tokenization of, uh, of uh, you know, property assets. So that, that's who essentially... Can we, we make a Justin on. host so he can invite any guests? 
Okay. Uh, well, welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for joining. Hey. Would you like to tell us a bit of your background? Yeah. Um. Tell us. Tell us a little bit about what uh, Securitize does. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, basically, we work with uh, companies that want to tokenize assets. So, we work with giant private equity firms that want to create a token that represents an investment in their uh, funds and try to give kind of more access to more people to these products, which are basically the best performing products in the world, but in a tokenized format. And, you know, it's pretty much impossible to do that today in any other uh, format. So, you know, what we're doing basically is working with companies, helping them uh, tokenize and then making the assets available to investors. Right. Interesting. So, you know, it seems like this is uh, a trend that's happening with uh, with crypto projects where essentially you've got more projects out there that are uh, in the business of uh, helping onboard traditional finance into uh, into uh, Web3. Is, is that kind of how you would describe it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we started the company like uh, five years ago with the intent of kind of ex expanding access to new groups of investors. But we've definitely uh, worked with a lot of traditional finance to, uh, to bring them into the Web3 world. So, I mean, it, I think it happens naturally. Things, you know, take a really, really long time to happen and then they happen overnight. And I think we're kind of in there in that space where things are happening overnight now. It's, it's interesting that... Um... You know, there's still, you know, it seems like the bear market or even even debacles like uh, FTX, of course, uh, have uh, not necessarily slowed the role in terms of interest from uh, large uh, groups and financial institutions. Uh, it, it still seems that they are they're interested in whatever money there is, whatever gold there is in those hills. Is, is that uh, is that pretty much correct? Has there been any drop off in in, uh, you know, the credit suites of the world and so forth, looking for ways to get in on uh, digitized assets? Well, funnily enough, they're, from, they're a customer of ours. But no, I mean, the, the um, you know, what we've seen is, is uh, it's a more fundamental thing, and it's not really just about crypto. It's about um, alternative assets at a kind of more fundamental level. And what's happened is that the world's largest investors normally allocate, you know, 40% of their pro kind of portfolio to alternative investments. And now um, those large institutional investors are kind of tapped out and they've right. kind of deployed as much capital as they can into this category. And so these um, equity, private equity firms need to kind of go down uh, market to more kind of accredited and eventually retail investors um, to bring them into the products because they need there's a lot of great deals out there. Companies are staying private a lot longer. And so they need more capital. And so that's the place where they would naturally go. I mean, the, the accredited investor market in the U.S. is gigantic. Um, you know, over 13 million people just in the U.S. and internationally, it becomes exponentially bigger. And so if they can get into that direct market, um, it's a huge upside for them because they can get a lot more capital into their deals and bigger funds, make more money and so on and so forth. Okay. So, I, and, and really the, uh, this hasn't dissuaded them from it because it's such a huge opportunity, essentially. Well, and we, we know we're not in, like, I frequently say, we're not the cool kids. We're not in cryptocurrency, uh -huh. right? right? We do securities. And so, 
while it's not cool necessarily, um, it does work and blockchain technology works perfectly for what we do. And so, you know, I think we're, we're probably a lot of firms will say, oh, we're the most regulated company in crypto. I'm pretty sure we actually are like we have uh-huh. dealers, ATS is uh, transfer agents for regulated in multiple countries. So, you know, I think, um, you know, what we're doing is fundamentally different and we've been doing it for five years. So we have kind of the trust, if you will of the uh of the companies in the space which is what we've been building for five years now and it requires a different skill set doesn't it because instead of uh hyping dgens on, on discord you're presenting in boardrooms to people in uh, uh dark blue and gray suits uh, i imagine <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well i mean you'd be surprised like this it's quite a mix but yeah i mean the big p shops are definitely like that um it's funny because carlos and i don't have finance backgrounds we're both like technology people that ended up doing finance and so it's it's really interesting the the way things kind of have come together in particular in, in this space isn't that kind of a good thing ultimately because uh i mean it, you know there have been as much as i love stories of uh the little guy making it big somebody doing something brilliant we, we all love the stories of uh disruptive innovators that come in out of nowhere it's also like a little bit of a myth a lot of the time. It, it seems like having more people who have uh, traditional finance experience is, well, first of all, kind of a very sane thing to do with the fact that, you know, crypto regulation is coming for us one way or the other. <laughs> so we probably better be ready for it. Um, and uh, it, it, it makes sense to have more people who have that kind of, that kind of experience, who have more traditional experience. Yeah, I mean, the, the nuances of the financial markets are really intense and deep, and they're there for a reason. I mean, uh-huh. we've seen it, you know, not to play bingo, but you could go down the line of companies that said that what they were doing wasn't illegal or fraudulent in any way, shape, or form, and it ends up not only their product, but their entire platform is. And so, you know, I uh-huh. think the, that's what we've seen a lot of. And, you know, I think if you had a, a few more, you know, real finance people in the room, kind of, which we have in spades now, um, you learn a lot about the nuance of things. And like the, the, the amount of arguments that I've witnessed amongst large firms about custody is absolutely spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such a boring thing in reality, but they just get so excited about it. So. All right. Why? What, what, what excites well, them about it? Because in the traditional space, you know, you need to have a certain type of firm hold them and deal with them. Whereas in our space, uh, you know, you can hold them yourselves. And so you can self custody your securities. You can't do that in traditional finance. Like you're not on the records of Apple. Like if you go into Apple's cap table and look at investors, even if you own shares, you don't show up there. All that shows up is probably JP Morgan or Robinhood or somebody like that, but you don't actually show up. Whereas with what Mm -hmm. we do, you actually show up, you matter, you're a real person. And so they're not like well suited to deal with that yet. And so the, Normally what happens is they have an intermediary that kind of, you know, um, keeps track of this stuff for them. Whereas, you know, in, in the world of blockchain, you don't need to do that. You can hold them yourself and it works great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, but that's not genuinely holding it. Do you agree? With you? Well, you're not actually holding. You're holding the IOU. The actual assets that you guys are collateralizing are actually held third party. There's still risk in this. Not really. I mean, the shares represent the legal right to the contract, to the investment. It's all the same thing. And they're, the way they're created is that they're, you're able to trade them, but there's no like piece of paper behind it. So it's a native digital asset you can use. 
or okay. hello hello welcome BDC to the combo would you like to introduce yourself well there's not much to say i've been following the space since it was 42 bucks with bitcoin but um i keep seeing every generation of this marketing of these altcoins or you i think an interesting thing that was said here is that you know we have been able to make good use or it's a we can make good use of a blockchain and uh that that whole centralized thinking i, I mean as Bitcoin grows, in my opinion, it becomes an ideal speculative asset. Every, no reason to take on counterparty risk. There's no reason to take an IOU. You literally own the property. It's a bare asset. Everything else is an IOU. I don't understand trying to put these assets on a blockchain because you're not really doing anything with that. Well, I mean, I would say that that's not true at all. The fact is you're the owning the security. You have the right to it. You have right to all the returns from it and you can trade it and swap it with people. So I don't know what's different about Bitcoin, except that Bitcoin was mined and created. It doesn't, it's not really any different. You're just saying Bitcoin as an asset is more native because of the way it was created. Then all uh -huh. tokens by the argument that you're making are not real. And the only thing that's real is something that was mined and created that way. Whereas you know, there's a ton of stuff out there that's not done that way. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. You know, and allow allow me to interject. I mean, honestly, like, uh, real question is is uh, is you know you can self custody your assets. You yeah. can also take uh, you know a, a strong box and, and lock it up with cash in it and hide it under your bed if you want. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, you're self custodying your assets. Um, and arguably, if you put it into a bank account, you're trusting an institution to do it for you. Is is there really any difference? Well, you can't like some. So what, again, your cash is a different thing. You're talking about currencies, totally different thing. I'm talking about a security. A security is an investment in something, right? And so, as we know, Bitcoin is not a security, so it's a little different. Um, but if you're talking about your shares in Apple, no, you can't do that. DTCC has to hold your shares for you. Mm -hmm. You're not. You don't exist. So you know what we do is different in that you can actually hold the shares yourself, and they're in a digital format. Right. Makes sense. Um, you know, how have, have you gotten any sense since you're in contact with institutional investors all the time? Have you gotten any sense of, of what the uh, the general reaction is to uh, great big alleged frauds like what's happening with Alameda and uh, FTX? I, you know, I think there's general abhorrence about it and they're pretty unhappy about it because they're, most of these firms have put huge amounts of effort and resources against getting into uh, the space and trying to figure it out. And so when you have somebody who's, you know, done this really, I mean, I know people have said he was just, it was a mistake, but it seems quite nefarious, um, right. you know, in its, in its source. So like, to me, that's just a total slap in the face of everybody else who's working to actually do and build real things. Right. So, so yeah, uh, it, it slows, it's, it slows it down. You get questions about it. People are like, you know, explain to us how, what's different about what you do versus what they were doing. And, you know, I think it's, it really just speaks to, the, to the, the fact that centralization is bad, right? And so all these firms that are trying to centralize what is supposed to be a decentralized economy doesn't make any sense. Like, why do I have to deposit all my stuff to trade it and then you go lend it to somebody else? That's bullshit. Like, that shouldn't happen. You should have your coins. You should be able to control them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. I mean, on the one hand, when we talk about the uh, the opportunity um, to uh, like, we talk about all the opportunities that are available in fintech and in, uh, this new class of digital assets. But of course, along with the opportunity goes, uh, we we are at risk sometimes of creating. Uh, you know, recreating traditional finance, but without the guardrails that traditional finance has. I I wonder if it would have been possible to allegedly steal that much money <laughs> in any in any other way without 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 running a bank without you know. I, well, there's, I there's suppose like, this happened before. Deal where they lost like five billion dollars because they sent it to the wrong bank account and they couldn't get it back. Like there's plenty of examples of you know traditional finance where they kind of cock it up as well. So it's not like it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Now that, 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 that is, uh, that's pretty intense. And of course the way, the way he's handling it is be, is beyond curious. I mean, for what it's worth, uh, Sam Bankman fried no longer speaks for FTX. FTX has a new CEO, the, the guy who handled Enron in fact, uh, in fact, which is interesting. If, if you're old like me, you remember when that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and so nothing that that guy says it reflects on FTX at this point officially. But, um, boys, uh, some of the, the tales he's come up with to explain uh, what happened there. Um, you know, I just like, I'd like to know where he got his money to begin with. Yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, of course, they're suggesting that it's a Ponzi scheme, that what he was doing is using investor funds coming in. Oh, we've got Adrian with us as well. Yeah, investor funds uh, coming in, uh, you know, uh, and, and then was using them to transfer to Almeida and then using those to do investments. Um, I, I think we have Adrian with us as well. Uh, do you want to say hi, Adrian? Have you guys been made speakers? Raise your hand if not, because I don't, I'm not seeing you guys, although, uh, Although you know, Jose told me that that you were on, so maybe you uh, maybe you came on and and uh, and blipped back off. That seems to be happening. But hi, okay. can, can you hear me? Yeah, hi. Uh, hi. Yeah, I think there was a there was a disconnect or something. Um, but yeah, he, here now, and uh, thanks for having us. Uh, glad to have you on board. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, so I'm 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 the uh, the CEO of Starsight Labs where we're developing Agri Tactics. It's a uh, digital strategy card game that we're building on Algorand. And um, a bit about my background, uh, I was a former pro player. I played a lot of big tournaments. Um, the biggest one was probably the uh, World Championship in 2015 for Hearthstone. And um, uh-huh. and so my, my motivation for doing this is... Uh, Strategy card games is a really big market. It's uh, roughly six billion in size, and I felt that we could do something a lot better if we could incorporate blockchain features. And we we didn't get it into it necessarily for the hype. We didn't want to be like you know oh we're we're a Web three game. Um, we we wanted to create features that enhance the gameplay. And some of the big things are card ownership. Um, other digital card games don't allow you to own the cards, uh, so we're creating that. We're building a marketplace where people can trade, and we're also building an automated tournament system uh, where people can mm-hmm. create their own tournaments, and the, the payments will be um, fast and trustless, uh, something that we're not really used to in the professional scene, where the, the tournaments are mm-hmm. very disorganized, and the, 
the payments are slow if they even come in at all. Um, so yeah, just a quick introduction of ourselves. We're also, um, we, we're launching, we have a public sale tonight at midnight um, for the, the first set of packs um, that we're releasing. Uh -huh. And we're also planning to release a closed beta this quarter. Um, so there, there's also a sign up on our website for anybody who's interested uh, in getting, getting uh -huh. in on the closed beta. Right. Or if people go ahead and follow, uh, am I saying it right, by the way? Agir, is that how it's pronounced? Uh, yes. So Agir Tactics, uh, you know, at Agir Tactics on Twitter, you go ahead and follow them or follow Jim. And, uh, and, and I'm sure you can find out the latest on the, on the drop that's coming up. Um, so, you know, uh, you said that you're, you were an esports player. Um, to begin with, you're a professional gamer doing doing tournaments. Do you have any background in game development, and what's that journey been like for you? Um, yeah, that's been really interesting. Uh, so, my my role at the company is mostly with the vision. Uh, it's really important to to mm -hmm. create a game that really has that core uh, uh, strategy card game feel, and and is also something that improves on the on the the new user experience. That was something that was really important that we handled from a, a player perspective. Um, from there, we're bringing on developers who do have experience launching games, both on the business end and also on the development side. Um, we, we actually will have some exciting news to share about that um, fairly soon. Um, but uh -huh. yeah, we our team, just to give like a, a rough breakdown, is we have three developers currently um, who have launched games before, or at least uh, two of them have. Um, we have an art studio with, uh, more info about them can be found in our socials. They're called the, uh, mm -hmm. the cross collective, um, really, really uh -huh. big studio in, in Germany. They're, they're making some amazing work. Um, and, uh, yeah, we also have a, a discord with a community team that's happy to answer any questions. So if anybody wants to pop into the discord and ask questions, I'm, I'm sure you can get all the information you need. So you're there to uh, to provide some creative guidance in terms of uh, making a game that's playable. Because if if we're being honest, you know, blockchain gaming does not summon ideas of high impact, uh, great user experience gaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least, at least not to me. That, that's absolutely true. Um, we we were thinking the same thing. And that, that's really been my focus, is making sure that this is a blockchain game that doesn't just stand up to the other card games that I've, I've played professionally, but is actually an improvement. Um, and, and also in terms right. of the visuals, too, that's something that's really been lacking in a lot of these games, which is why we went to a, a AAA studio to make sure that the visuals are also a step up in addition to the gameplay. Uh-huh. So, you know, I like uh, the story we were having about tokenization before, you know, GameFi is another space that r has really kind of been doing okay through the, this uh, crypto winter because there's uh, so much capital investment uh, pouring into it. What, 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 do you, what is it about GameFi that's still attracting investors e even as so much of the rest of DeFi struggles? Well, yeah, I, I think um, the, the thing that's really interesting about GameFi yeah. is um, in, in GameFi, there's the potential to add features to an already existing market that's already doing really well. 
And when you look at the things that you can add to games, like right now in pretty much every Web2 game, anything that you buy, you don't actually have ownership of. And it seems really weird sometimes when you ha we have these big companies making billions on these microtransactions and nobody's actually getting to keep their assets. It's always considered as just a, a permission to use those assets inside the game. And so there's pe people see really limitless potential for gaming. And it would, it would be really strange in the long run for games to not be taking advantage of this technology. And so uh -huh. while I think that so far... Um, GameFi hasn't really impressed gamers. Um, uh -huh. It's it's because there's been a lot of people got really strange with the tokenomics. I think I think it's going to take time for the the tokenomics in GameFi to really make sense. We saw a lot of Web two games, their their models getting kind of ported over to Web three, and then them realizing that this doesn't really add to the value of the assets. I think. Uh, Gods Unchained is a good example. That was the, the biggest uh, blockchain card game. And the problem there um, was that they, they basically adopted the same model as Web2 games, but they didn't cap any of the assets. And they let people start minting their digital cards that had no caps um, on a, as NFTs. And the NFTs just really oh. couldn't hold value because people could just keep coming in and making more of them. And as the markets right. got more and more flooded, it was just it was clear that these these cards were not collectible and they, they, they weren't going to uh, uh, generate any value over time. Um, well, it's, yep. it, it seems like, you know, like should playable cards be treated as assets meant to accrue value? It, it seems like Axie Infinity was the mo last year was kind of a moment in time where people were actually making, um, you know, in some cases, the, the minority of people making real money playing Axie Infinity. But, like, uh, you know, obviously microtransactions through, like, EA and, like, every other major uh, publishing house, uh, you know, the uh, within uh, w within Epic Games, for example, and Fortnite, there are all sorts of, like, micro-purchases and so forth. But those are usually, like, $10 affairs. Even EA, who is expert at extracting money from me, I know, like, they're wonderful at it long before yep. Web3 ever came along. It, it, it makes sense to, to have uh, microtransactions as long as they don't affect, affect game balance. But um, nobody walks away with their Fortnite skin thinking that's going to be worth, um, you know, $100,000 later on. Like, it, it seems like that, that was all part of the heady atmosphere of 2021. Would you agree? Yeah, I, w I would definitely say so. Um, it, it, it's a very different uh, kind of industry. And I think that card games actually offer a little bit of input because we can go back to the sort of pre-digital card games and right. look at, at how collections went there and how some of the assets actually did generate lots of value over time. Uh -huh. um, just, be, just because of how collectible they were. There was such a limited supply of some of these assets and um, they, they actually turned out to be decent investments, essentially. And I, I think with, with Web2, a lot of the monetization really assumes that, you know, people can't trade these assets, that, um, you know, that you're essentially just buying them for yourself and, and uh, then forgetting about it. Um, it, it, it doesn't really, there's not too much to learn from Web2, essentially. Well, okay, let me ask a question that we can pose to both of you to try and get our, our, our panel thing going here. Um, 
You know, obviously with FTX, uh, people are concerned about how um, about seeing the fund uh, of uh, of different uh, in DeFi investment exchanges and so forth, or anybody else who's uh, custodying um, uh, funds uh, for for uh, users. Um, you know, is this going? And recently, uh, today. Uh, Benzinga has an article out uh, basically saying if uh, Grayscale, uh, you know, in the unlikely uh, event that it declares bankruptcy, it would have just a terrible deleterious effect on Ethereum, on Solana, on uh, Bitcoin, um, uh, you know, in the in the wake of FTX, because distrust is at such an all time high right now. What, what do you think? And, and let's let's take it back to Jamie. Uh, Jamie, wh what do you think is the responsibility right now for anybody custodying uh, customer assets to, in order to uh, be above board I and suit not only due really diligence? Show. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Hello. I I, I think you did. Uh, I, I think you're just breaking up a little bit, Jamie. Yep, yep, he's breaking up. Okay, so so let's uh, let's go back. I, I really wanted to hear the answer. You, well, well, I I assume J Rod yeah. knows. So so what what is the deal, uh, Jose? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that this is like a huge issue that we find ourselves in. And mm -hmm. I feel that the the community has the the technology, the resources to survive, but we may have a a, a deeper deep yet to be to be found this year or next year maybe. So Jamie, let's try if your mic is yeah. working properly. Sorry. Can you guys Perfect. hear me okay? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I would really wanted to hear your answer, so please proceed. Well, I, I think it's really just about people showing their balance sheets. Like, it shouldn't be that complicated uh, for someone to show the assets that they actually have if they have them. You know, I think FTX showed us how not to do that. But I think the more reputable firms are able to show their balance sheets. And, you know, when we're dealing with, I don't know, Prime Trust or other firms, you know, you, you get to see that information. It's not like a secret that they're holding customer assets. If they're not willing to show their customer assets, I would be really scared. Right, but how, uh, you know, like recently we saw an example of Crypto.com. I mean, I covered when they did this. Um, I, I felt sort of bad for the, uh, them in a way because they, they made a proactive effort to do a report to show a dashboard form of uh, everything that, you know, of, of all of the reserve. And it actually raised some questions and some feelings of, uh, of negativity a little bit, like, like putting yourself out for that kind of scrutiny can um can backfire especially when everyone is as anxious as they are right now so you know what what do you think should be the standard what's a reasonable way to handle it H how are you handling it but, well i think showing the you know the the balance sheet is a reasonable thing that you know particularly if you're holding customer assets you know we don't hold customer assets so it's not an issue for us and investors hold their own um, but you know, if you're holding cash for somebody you should, or, or some sort of 
tokens, you should be able to show that. Like that isn't that the point of the blockchain, the transparency? That that like, would seem to be the point. The <laughs> Suppo- <laughs> supposedly that's part of the point. It's amazing what can happen. Uh, a little little seven billion dollars slip here and there makes everybody all jumpy. Um Jim, uh, you know, you are also, in a sense, uh, on your platform when it's launched, you're, you're going to be uh, taking and holding uh, customer assets. Um, you know, how how do you go about handling transparency within a GameFi environment? It, it's, it's interesting for you to word it that way. Uh, uh, we actually won't be holding custody of any of our gamers' assets. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, sorry. You go ahead. No, I don't know. Just oh, keep going. Uh, I, I, um, so, uh, we we were very uh, careful about this because, from our point of view, we we really want the the player to be as in control of their assets as possible, and we are a fan of decentralization. So. Uh, what we're planning to do for the like non blockchain savvy users is partner with uh, a solution very similar to web off three. Uh, if you're familiar with that platform, it basically splits your keys uh, across uh, multiple uh, sources and makes it. So your, your wallet is a non custodial wallet. Um, and or it it allows you to have a non-custodial uh, wallet um, that is tied to your SSO. So you could sign in with your email and your email has the key to a wallet that no one has custody of aside from you uh, with that email um, as part of the key to open it. So. So that's one of our mechanisms that we're using to to make sure that we don't have any responsibility of your assets. Once you buy them from us, then uh-huh. those are yours. Right. And I, and I overheard, um, you know, your earlier question, why is GameFi a little bit more attractive during this crypto winter versus, you know, uh, DeFi? And I, I have a feeling one of the reasons it's a little less uh, risky to investors. That being said, though, uh, uh, you know, you look at Axie Infinity and their Ronin hack. Um, there's still so many things that can go wrong, but there is a little bit less, I would say, regulatory concerns that we've heard from investors than within the DeFi space. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, that, that was just something I wanted to bring up is uh, I think from a regulatory uh, perspective, all the investors that we've spoken to, they, they're, they're pretty much uh, very comfortable with all the things we propose because it's really hard to argue that a play to earn game is not like you're, you're not putting effort into earning some type of reward token. Um, so it, it's a lot uh, it's a lot easier to convince people on the regulatory side that things aren't securities. And you know, if you don't really have 
these uh, custodial uh, things, it makes things a lot easier as well. You know, the, the uh, gaming space in general is pretty cynical, though. I, I, I'm also on a, uh, a game dev. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on a game dev team for uh, Ship of Heroes, which is a spiritual successor to City of Heroes. It's been in production for the past five years, uh, being a, you know, a 3D MMO, uh, developing a, on UE. And, um, you know, one thing I learned by, by promoting for, for Ship of Heroes earlier in the day is, uh, wow, boy, gaming, uh, <laughs> they're pretty, gaming users are, are pretty tough customers. Uh, so, mu- so much fundraising was being done through, um, like GoFundMe type platforms for, you know, going back five or five or 10 years. And then any initial fundraising that's done for developing the game is like heavily scrutinized. And in some ways you're encountering the best of both worlds with the cynicism coming from the crypto space and also, uh, you know, kind of the attitude innate to, uh, to the gamer. So, uh, you know, how are you handling transparency in that way? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting with gamers. Um, we've, we've been covering that a lot. Um, a lot of gamers are unhappy with how Web3 has gone so far, and they basically look at NFTs as potentially just another way for companies to monetize the same content. Um, yep. to, to me, the, the issue is that a lot of people so far have really promoted this as, as you know, Web3 gaming versus Web2. It's, it's you know, you, you get a wallet and you play with your wallet. And um, I, I think that the right approach is instead of, you know, just trying to get them to adopt new tech to give them the features that just just make the game a lot better for them. And once once you add the new features, our, our goal is, is actually to hide as much blockchain as we possibly can and to just just give them, uh, you know, better content. And once we do that, then I think people will be a lot warmer about, you know, the, the tech behind it. Um, sure. That's that's essentially our approach. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's true. Right now, there there is no uh, there is no Web three gaming Fortnite out there. There there's there's no uh, superstar uh, title that that's going to carry them through. I'll, I'll tell you what, though, like I, I've been thinking for a while, like I, I don't know that when that happens, that's necessarily going to come from a, a little indie producer working in the Web three space. Why why wouldn't that come from? Uh, wasn't Blizzard or uh, EA or or Epic just you know buy a smaller house and then do their own version or do some version of an already famous title they have? Yeah, it's a great question, and you know I I, I think like uh, one example of uh, a big AAA studio trying to do this was um, was it uh, what what's that shooter? Um, called I, I it slipped in my mind there was a, a shooter series that tried to do this recently I think it was EA was it EA mm, I don't know we have to go look it up oh, Ubisoft. it was Ubisoft so okay Ubisoft they tried to bring in uh, NFTs for one of their shooting uh, games and all the gamers rioted Sorry, sorry, it, 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 you're muted. <laughs> Did you mute everyone? Or what, what are we doing? Yeah, my bad, my bad. Okay, sorry. So go, go ahead. Let, let's pick that back up. 
Oh, sorry. Uh, um, All the gamers were rioting. Yes. Yeah. So, so the the gamers were rioting, right? Um, but uh, so I I think one of the challenges with a triple A studio being able to just flip the switch and do NFTs uh, before a indie studio is the the gamer market. Uh, because they're much more scrutinized than the tradi- uh, uh, by the traditional gamer, mm-hmm. um, and th- they're more likely to get you know people with their pitchforks out. Where an indie game could potentially break through, being crypto first and and get its uh, you know its its uh, notoriety by being a really good game. And that right. could potentially convince some real gamers, hey, this isn't just a crypto game. This is a real game. So so that's, uh, you know, some hope that I have. Um, but I, I yeah. think that it's going to definitely be an uphill battle. But it will, like the market for gaming, it is heading in that direction. And there's no doubt in my mind in a few years there's going to be triple uh, A games with NFTs, and NFTs are going to be a lot more popular in games. Yeah, my my, my thinking of it in terms of the Fortnite example is I, I think if if they took Fortnite now and they added wallets to it or NFTs or anything like that, it would it would be a similar riot. But if somebody was to release a a Fortnite type experience where people could actually uh, trade content or you know collect unique characters and trade them and there was a like a, a real money market i think people would be all over that that, that would be really exciting um, because it has it has nothing to do with like novelty or hype it's just a better game and mm-hmm. I, I don't I, I think that people are starting to think that we we've heard that um from both from developers and also from players um but i, I don't think i think it's going to be some time before the the development cycle allows for a, a big hit like that. I, I think yeah. in the short time, it is it is most likely that an, an indie studio is just going to produce something that, that is a hit because it has features that uh, other games just don't have the tech for yet. Uh-huh. I, you know, it's interesting. Like, actually, Web 2 games have done a better job allowing ecosystems uh, of... Uh, people developing DLC uh, for the game and then selling that. I mean, I, I watch uh, EA struggle with this issue, uh, sometimes I think turning into in, in a wrong direction where they try to limit it a little bit. They, they recently, they've kind of like tacitly accepted their modern community. Um, but in the meantime, we've got all this potentiality of, uh, you know, creating objects within NFTs and so forth. But I have yet to see any games that are really embracing or making that potential ecosystem part of their of their roadmap. Or at least if it is part of the roadmap, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, I think the, the big thing for me is really the collectibles, because we have this space where there's been digital collectibles in these games for a long time and people spend thousands of dollars on this kind of stuff. And um, it, we, we also see examples of, of um, I, I think w- one example that I go back to a lot is in World of Warcraft. There are these, they used to have uh, physical playing cards and some of them had scratch off codes that could provide you with, with content. 
uh, inside uh, digital content inside the game. And uh, they, they stopped doing that card game, but people still had some of the cards. And these, these scratch-off codes have become incredibly rare, leading to people reselling them on eBay for you know, five, six figures. And it, it just goes to show that like, people are interested in digital collectibles. It just nobody's really created the tech to make it interesting. Like we saw, we saw skins in Counter Strike being like a big hit, where people were able to trade those. The, the loot boxes were really criticized in the news. Um, but you know, we, we I, I, I had a friend who got a loot box and uh, got something like a three thousand dollars skin that he was able to flip and buy a new PC set. Like we, we see that there's interest out there. And that there are there is potential for these digital collectibles to be really big. We just haven't really seen like a big mainstream scalable uh, version of it. But but it, you know, part one of the principles of Web three is the idea that you that we're blurring the line between publisher and user, between um, audience and and, uh, and people. You know, be spending and earning. Um, so I guess that's not part of your future plans right, right at this point to somehow involve or, or I, I would say mobilize the, the support of uh, people who are creating DLC and, and feeding into your ecosystem. And part of, part of what makes uh, unreal engine, um, you know, a powerful thing is that it does have a vibrant ecosystem around it where you can, you know, buy resources to use in the development of your actual game. Yeah, it's interesting, and that's that's one of the things that I think people have actually um, had a big problem with in gaming is because um, I, I think that uh, like my notion of the the digital collectibles that's one aspect of blockchain that people have brought up a lot in gaming. Uh, the other really big topic is like you said, where the the community has a bit more of a say in the development. They might even be able to like provide assets that are usable inside of the game. Um, I, I think this is something that I've, I've seen a lot of criticism for, and people are, are blaming stuff like this for why Web3 games just don't seem very good. Um, and so our, our thinking is that we, we do want to really keep the development of this a bit more centralized than, than people have been thinking. We want to make sure that the, the quality is at a level that stands up to current games. And so maybe in the long run, we, we would consider something like that, where, you know, put the put the game a little more in the community's hands. Um, but for, for now, I, I think it's, it, it's going to be hard enough to, you know, sell gamers on, on the, the digital collectible stuff. And uh, maybe after that, we can, we can think about sort of the uh, uh, community-based development. Interesting. You know, it's kind of a question I'll, I'll put to both of you, but I'll, I'll take it back to, to Jamie first. If, if, if you're with us, Jamie, I, um, I, uh, you know, I'm wondering, are, on the one hand, those who are Bitcoin maxis and those who are, are really into uh, hardliners on decentralization, which, you know, there are worse things to be serious about. I'm not knocking it, but, um, you know, are basically pointing out that the centralization of like FTX as having been uh, as having been the problem. Um, you know, are are we moving toward a situation where people are going to be looking for DAOs as a matter of trust? Because I'll tell you one thing, um, you know, I opening up any decision about the actual creation of the game I've been working on 
um, to uh, to the public seems like a nice idea and quickly becomes an unmitigated disaster as people become ridiculously fired up. Uh, I remember we wanted to use the term unobtainium for a particular uh, mineral that, that uh, you, you had to go after and the amount of um, pages upon pages written about in opposition to this, it, it wasn't quite the community building exercise I had hoped it to be. So, you know, do you see yourself going toward a DAO and uh, how would you handle creative decisions in that kind of situation? I think Jamie's gone, actually. So I'll just go ahead and take that back to our game five friends. I I love this question. Yeah, it's it's uh, it really is uh, it's something that sounds great on paper, or, or I, I guess when you talk about it, uh, you know, it it sounds really great. Oh, the community can come up with ideas and vote. Um, yeah, it, but you know, I I think I. I can't remember if it was Maker DAO, but there was there was some DAO that let you know you can uh, the community can come up with a proposal, and one of the proposals was like kick out all of the the members of the uh, the team and replace them, and you know at at that point the the DAO said oh we're not going to honor that that you know we're throwing that out. And once you do that, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the DAO. Um, so I, I feel like I haven't really seen a good, true decentralized DAO functioning yet. I think that there's still like a long, like we we have a, a long way to go for a really well-working DAO. But I do think that there are ways that, uh, games and other ecosystems can find a way that, you know, there is some supreme ruler and they do allow the, the community to have input, uh, or input over like the direction of a launch or of a game potentially. Um, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen very many good examples of, DAOs functioning uh, very well. So, uh, but it, it really is an interesting uh, concept, I think. And particularly with anything that's a creative project, because honestly, you know, the very whether you're talking about a, a Pixar movie or talking about uh, making an MMO or some other kind of game, it, it seems like most uh, well produced pieces of art are at some level or another kind of a dictatorship. Because you've got one person yep. executing a vision. And if you don't have that person, you know, devoting a decade of their lives to doing that, you don't end up with the same kind of product. Yeah, right? just to add to that as well, like you, you've got that initial creative and you don't want to detract from their vision too much. But I feel like there is a space for DAOs, not necessarily to give the entire creative process over to the community, but to give pathways, you know? So it's like, if there are two potential story arcs that are available, then you get the community to vote on which one of those are the ones that play out. And then you can have this interactive storytelling embedded into the experience itself, as opposed to them like taking complete control of the creative direction. It's more like getting a response and a feedback as to, you know, should we go down path A or path B when it comes to this character or, or how this story evolves? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, no, it's true. I, I Somebody asked me offhandedly. I, I posted an image of an interior for, for the group just a couple of days ago, and they asked, you know, what will it, because it takes place in a big spaceship, they're, they're like, what will be the name of the beer on that spaceship? And I was like, oh, I I don't know, but I know that if I say anything, I'll, I'll be argued with right now. So, uh like it, it's kind of funny how to handle those. Um, hey guys, I, since I haven't taken the time out to say it, please do follow our guests. Um, you know, we're, we're having a little bit of a, a, a pre Turkey day kind of, kind of spaces. I guess a lot of people are, are off this week. Um, Jose, I guess we're not doing our broadcast on Thursday. Do you want to do it on Friday? When are you thinking of, uh, of coming in and doing the next, uh, open mic crypto Friday works for me, sir. Friday works for me. What's that? Friday works for me. Yeah, Friday. So, so everyone. I, I mean, if you want to join us on Black Friday? I'll, we'll try and have some retail people there. That'll be fun. But um, go ahead and follow the uh, the people involved here. We've only got about uh, ten more minutes left. So, if you have any questions, go ahead and raise your hands. We're we're open to discussing anything, whether it's about specifically GameFi. You want to talk about, you know, although, like, I have to admit, I've written so much and talked so much about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried at this point. I'm sorry if you're listening, Sam, but you're just not that pleasant a guy. <laughs> I'm getting kind of tired of talking about you and your fraud personally. Uh, but alleged, alleged fraud. What, what what about you, Jose? Do you have FTX fatigue? Yeah, but, but now it's a hearing, so I'm waiting right. for... A few exciting quotes. I think we will find some a bit of clarity around what happened and how that bomb uh, ramped up and how everything was settled to disaster. You know, so mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it, it kind I, of showed. I, I yeah. still have to follow the story. It's like so big, we can't forget about it. We can't get fatigued about it. it it's super important. There's like a lot of billions of dollars of users missed. So, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I have to follow it if uh, if Jose tells me to write something about it. Jose's, Jose's a, a, ve a very strong-handed edit editor there, there at Benzinga Crypto. <laughs> <laughs> Rules with an iron fist. Um, you know, like w one example of how nervous everyone is, although it's a little bit tangential, is like uh, when I did the story over the weekend, like on Saturday, about how Falcon X dropped the use of Silvergate. And at the same time, it was reported that they had received $17 million from a wallet address marked Alameda. Um, and they sure wrote to clarify that point. Uh, it, it actually had been uh, mislabeled. Um, it, so it wasn't actually money coming in from Alameda. But even that and also their move to uh, to stop using uh, Silvergate, which they reinstated now, by the way. So they, they paused it for less than three days. In both cases seem to be about trying to distance themselves or get away from any perception. And I'm not suggesting that there is any connection. It's There seems to not be. But they, they were desperate to avoid any perception um, of being associated with Alameda and FTX. Um, you know, the, I guess we have left... Sorry, go ahead. I will do the same. Well, yeah, I suppose so, right? 
If 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 you're holding on, if you're holding a billion for Sam Bankman Freed right now, uh, uh, J Rod, it's probably better for just to come clean. You should you just just let you know come clean now before they catch up with you. Give give, give back <laughs> the ill gotten billion. <laughs> All right. Does anybody have any questions? Go ahead and raise hands. I don't know. Let, let's let's go ahead and wrap it up. Hey, I want to remind you all: Future of Crypto show. It is. Uh, sorry, Future of Crypto conference coming up on December seventh in New York City at Pier sixty. Um, Benzinga has put this together for the community to create sort of like a positive future focused forum for all of us to be able to talk about our, our love for the Web3 space and have leaders in the Web3 space, including Board Ape Yacht Club will be there. Polygon's going to be there. I think Algorand is already is already attending. Uh, Solana, uh, uh, Gary V's people with uh, Vayner3, I think they're called now, are going to be there as well. Um, lots, lots of great guests. Uh, I hope that you all can join us. Um, but I'll just go ahead and throw it sort of like a, a softball question for our remaining guests. Seriously, from a personal point of view, what do you see as the uh, future of, uh, of Web3? Where do you see this is going? Who want to take that one? Yeah, sure, I'll take it. So, like, I, I feel like we're so early in Web3, you know, this is just the infancy and kind of like the creative phase where we're trying out as many use cases and potential utilities as possible. And nothing's really been, like, solidified yet as the general pathway as where we're going to go. But there are obviously some key themes throughout with NFTs, GameFi, and all of this great stuff that's going to be there. But if we feel like Web2 was essentially the, the eve of the internet and the information sharing age. I see Web3 as like the next evolution of the social age. We had social media kind of at the end of the arc of Web2. And I feel like this is the next evolutionary process within that. We're going to see a lot more um, sort of people attributing their own personal identities and online social identities with the assets and the digital collectibles that they've they've managed to accumulate and curate and also people attaching a lot of self-value and and sort of building their reputation and their identity using these these avatars you know whether you're a bored ape or or whichever sort of tribe that you found of people that you like this is going to be the new way of being able to connect and interact with people online i think social media for all the good that it's done there's also obviously some some problems there with uh people looking at sort of the monetary gain of things um you know if you don't have a hundred thousand followers or you're not getting a million likes on each one of your posts then you have this issue with self-worth i think that's a very very critical problem uh, with youth today in social media and I feel like Web3 really has an opportunity to change that and change the metrics at which we attribute you know success value worth and uh, how we try to identify ourselves online it's an interesting point I mean you know right right before uh, the, the first time I was hearing the NFTs were a form of self-expression you know, they very quickly, uh, in some cases, became like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar form of self expression. That's that's like me calling, uh, you know, my Lambo that I don't have a, a form of self expression, which I guess it is. It's just you know not one available to everybody. So you, you think the deflation of the market was necessary in order to get us toward this ideal you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're always going to have you know small tribes of very very valuable high profile assets collectibles whether that's a lamborghini or, or a bored ape you know but i feel like the next 
steps that's necessary for these companies to truly evolve and be able to combat some of the bigger sort of brands in GameFi and uh, sorry, in sort of like standard gaming and stuff like that is to have product offerings that are at every level, you know? So like if you can't have a board ape, you can grab an other deed for an ETH, right? And there will come a time and a place where you can buy into these brands and still be a part of that tribe at a much lower price point. And I feel like the next stage is to have NFTs within a specific sort of um, collection that are varied in price, you know, so you've got the very early, early parts of of that um, sort of collection. And then throughout the time, you'll see that there will be offerings that are available to a much larger audience. Otherwise, you're going to have such a, a difficult time if you've got a floor price of 10 ETH, 15 ETH, 20 ETH of being able to make this a mass marketed, mass audience product. I think those are all great points. Would would anybody else like to chime in around the, or chime in around this question? Where do you where where do you see? What do you think of when you think of the uh, the future of Web three? Yeah, well, I, I know that we've been talking a lot about games, uh, and I, I think that's like a pretty apparent um, future. Um, I you know I, I definitely think that governments are going to adopt it. And, and I, I think that, you know, banking systems are going to adopt it. It, it might not be DeFi, but it, it is a lot more efficient than what our current technology does for, you know, ensuring that these ledgers that are, are across the world are in sync. So I, I, I think that that is going to happen over time. Um, and broader adoption behind the scenes of uh, Web3 for that. Um, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if a lot more real estate uh, starts uh, getting um, uh, split up and allocated for shares on uh, Web3 and uh, more of like the ownership uh, side of assets, uh, physical, like real world assets are represented more on uh, Web three as like a proof of of ownership. Uh, there there are a few companies that come to mind that are doing that right now, and and they're having a, some really good success about that. Um, so so I, that's kind of my view of what I think Web three will go to more in the future. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, J-Rod, anything you want to add? I, I want to thank everyone who joined, all the audience, and see you on Friday. Yeah, today's been a little funky. I don't know about everybody else, but like my screen hasn't changed this whole time, so I haven't been able to tell who's necessarily talking at any, at any given point. So uh, who knows? Maybe this is because there are no longer people doing doing support roles for Twitter. We have no <laughs> idea. Perhaps that is something we'll talk about, and I think we should talk about retail on Friday. I'll put out a report request and make that happen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Please go ahead and uh, like everyone following, because there really is no subscribe button here, except to like Benzinga, like me and J-Rod, and follow, and follow when these are going to happen again. But generally speaking, they're going to be Tuesday and Thursday at noon Eastern time, but this week, because of the holiday, we're moving that to friday uh thank you so much uh everyone for coming out and uh love you guys have a great holiday don't eat too Bye -bye. much turkey if you're gonna eat me happy thanksgiving
Yep. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thank you for coming. Take care.